Hey, everybody. Welcome. So today's guest, I am super duper excited about. You are not going to want to miss this episode. Uh, this is Jared Oaks, right? The brother from another mother. Um, my best friend from childhood, high school, college, adult life, best men in each other's weddings. Um, so uh, he is just a fascinating individual. Um, if you don't know him, he's one of the, the, the funniest guys that you'll be around. He's infectious. His, his personality is amazing. Um, he's a wonderful husband, wonderful father, um, but professionally too. This guy is an inspiration to me. Um, I can't wait for you guys to hear his story, uh, just some of the bantering back and forth, uh, and hopefully uh, you can kind of feel the love that uh, you're going to see. So stay tuned and make sure you watch through the whole thing because at the very end, we have our uh, classic Sawbones challenge. So um, looking forward to this episode. See you in a little bit. Welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story and my passion. I'm Dr. Ryan Molly, orthopedic surgeon, entrepreneur, cutter of bones, uh, business owner. Uh, most importantly, though, loving husband and father of three young boys that keep me, uh, I think, getting older every day, but loving life. Uh, this is the story that really just kind of looks at the bare bones of who I am, uh, kind of what makes me tick both personally and professionally. And each week we have a new guest that comes on that's been um, you know, someone that's inspired me throughout the years, someone that's maybe come from my childhood, uh, adulthood, you know, professionally or personally. And uh, this week, I, I cannot wait for this episode because uh, this is the OG uh, best friend, Jared Oaks. Um, we grew up together in Northwest Pennsylvania, uh, both went to Maplewood High School. Uh, we both went to Mercer's College. We were roommates there, but he uh, got his undergraduate degree there, ended up going to law school at Case Western um, and now is a commercial real estate attorney in the Cleveland area. So without further ado, welcome, Jared. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for great to be here. Yeah. So this is take two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we actually recorded this last night and um, how, how far? Probably 75% of the way through. Uh, it just kind of clicked that I did not turn the audio on. So 
we had been recording the video the whole time, but we didn't have any any audio or, or very poor audio. These mics were not actually recording. So um, we're going to do this now. All right. For real. Do it for real. So the way that we always start this out is, you know, you tell me a little about who you are, kind of where you're from. Uh, I know a lot of this, but our guests don't. And I'm sure I'm going to probably pick up on some things. But, you know, what brought you and how'd you get to where you are now? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I, I grew up in Guy's Mills, just outside of Meadville, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, in a rural, very rural area. Went to Maplewood High School. Uh, Maplewood all the way through, I guess. Um, went to St. Hippolyte Church growing up, um, which is where we became friends. Um, uh, went to Mercyhurst. Decided to go to Mercyhurst in order to play football there. But when I got there, I decided not to play football. Um, I majored in finance and accounting there and worked for a couple years uh, after college in finance uh, for uh, a company called First Union Securities, which has now merged several times into something else. Um, and then that was during the dot-com boom and bust. And so right around 9-11 uh, or after 9-11, this was soul-searching about what to do. I didn't have a family yet. I had no sort of like, you know, nothing holding me down. So I decided to go back to school. I thought I was going to be an investment banker. And so I decided to do at the time my law degree and my MBA at the same time. And so I looked at a lot of schools for that. I looked in schools mostly in the South, like Vanderbilt and North Carolina and places like that. And in, in the end, Case Western and Cleveland gave me a big scholarship for business school and it was close to home. Um, it was about the biggest city at the time I thought I would like to go to given that we grew up in small town, Pennsylvania. And um, just kind of fell in love with Cleveland when I went there. I met my wife there. Uh, she's from Detroit. Um, we lived in the same house in Little Italy in the neighborhood in Cleveland. Uh, I lived on the second floor with my roommate from law school, and she lived on the first floor. She was a social work, um, getting her master's in social work. And she always jokes that she was there to, you know, save the world, and I was there to ruin it as an attorney. But, like, the, uh, um, um, but the, you know, we kind of, you know, Cleveland is also a nice middle ground. It was like halfway between our family in Pennsylvania and her family in, um, in Michigan. And so we kind of decided to stick around. When I was in law school, you know, I sort of didn't know if I wanted to be a corporate lawyer or even if I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't really go there to be a lawyer, whether it be an investment banker. But I kind of I lucked into the situation where I met uh, one of my me first mentors, and still a mentor of mine, who uh, convinced me to not work for a law firm when I was in law school. Usually that's the traditional route when you're in law school is you, you're, the ideal job is to get a summer associate position at a big law firm. And that will guarantee you, not guarantee, but you get hired a clerkship? There. It's like a clerkship. They yeah. call it summer associate, you know. Um, and so it's really like you get wine and dine. You don't do a lot of work as a summer associate, but <laughs> it's a pretty good gig. They get paid like a lawyer when you're in law school for adding pr pretty much zero value. Would I be able like to get you. that maybe this summer? <laughs> I'll see if we have any openings. So. Okay. Um, it is our biggest class ever. We have 20, 25 <laughs> servers. We can probably squeeze a 26th in there if you want. Um, but, um, yeah, so I met this guy, and he said, come to work at my company. And it's a really large real estate company that was based in Cleveland. They're publicly traded, owned hundreds of shopping centers around the country. And he said, I'll show you sort of like the legal side of things and the business side of things. And uh, and I did that and I learned a ton. I loved working there. Um, but I also knew when I was done with law school that like the traditional route of, of going to a law firm would give you the best or give me sort of the best training as a lawyer. And that's also where I kind of like fell in love with real estate. So at the time, I didn't really know if I wanted to do real estate or corporate law. Um, but I just sort of love the tangible aspect of real estate. Um, corporate law, you know, you, one company buys another company, one goes away, you know, and so that's not that, except to me, that wasn't that exciting other than the numbers are big and it's like sort of like headline making kind of deals. But 
Um, to me, the, the ability to create a place, to create a community, to make improve a community um, through physical building was kind of cool. So I really love that. Um, I spent the first probably 11 years of my career as a lawyer at a firm called Thompson Hine, which was a great place. They, you know, you got tons of mentoring. Um, they're really, really excellent lawyers. It was the exact right thing for me during that part of my career. And about <clears throat> seven and a half years ago, I made the move to come over to my current firm, Benish, um, which I love. It was, it, that was sort of like, while Thompson Hine was the best thing for what I needed at the time, the move to Benish really like was the springboard of my career. It really helped me like to have my own practice take off. <clears throat> and we have, you know, I've been part of creating, you know, this really fantastic real estate group. So we, you know, we went from at the time, I think when I joined Benish, we might've had 20 to 22 lawyers in our group, in the real estate group. So it was about, at the time, maybe 150 lawyers in the firm. Now, like the firm's 350 lawyers. Wow. The group is um, almost 50 lawyers. And so, and that's like sort of like, we're just sort of like, feel like getting started. And, and it's really been a, fu a fun thing to build. Um, and that's me sort of professionally, but like my, my family life is just as important or more important, you know? So um, as I mentioned, I met my wife, Jill, in <clears throat> when we were in school and uh, she was a medical social worker. Uh, she stopped working after we had our second kid. We have three kids. Braden is 14, just finished uh, middle school, is going to high school next year, which is crazy to me. Um, He's getting tall, too. He is real tall. tall. He's very close to being taller than me. Um, <laughs> I feel like every morning I'm checking, he's an inch taller. <laughs> and then uh, Olivia is 12. She just finished sixth grade. She's like a ray of sunshine. You know, everybody loves her. She just brings joy and happiness to everybody. And then Avery is nine, and she is like the smart one of the family. She's like she keeps everybody in line. <laughs> we call her indoorsy because she doesn't really love to do like outdoor stuff. So we'll see how this this upcoming trip is going to go, where we're hiking a lot and so. But she, uh, um, but she's she's a great kid, voracious reader. She just is, uh, and she's very funny. So it's a, they keep me on my toes for sure. Yeah, you definitely have a nice balance of um, you know sports, academics with with the kids and. Um, you have your hands full. That's yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. For sure. So, the other question I always like to ask my guests is: Do you remember the first time that we met, or um, just kind of a, a first memory of of myself and, and our relationship? Yeah. So I don't know if I remember like a like the, a single moment where we met because we've known each other forever. I feel like, but I think it's sort of like the, my memories of like when we became friends and really started <laughs> to know each other was probably in like sort of like the middle part of elementary school. So maybe like fourth grade, fifth grade, that kind of time. And um, it was, mo it was probably through church is what I remember you most. Cause I was one year ahead of you at school. So we wouldn't have been in the same classes together. We probably saw each other playing basketball and sports, but yeah. um, I think it was really through church and like the, ch our church community that became really the, the community of the town almost um, that that's how I get, you know, sort of remember like getting to know you. Yeah. I would say the same thing. Um, you know, we, it, it, it's funny how St. Hippolyte, um, everybody almost had assigned seats. So I knew exactly where the Oaks was always. It was, you sat in the same pew and you probably sat in the same order. Like mom sits here, dad sits here. Yeah. Right. And for, for our family, we had, you know, well, you have three boys in your family, but, um, we had to make sure that we were evenly spaced out so that, you know, we weren't getting in trouble. Then the grandparents were there, but yeah, you were right behind the, the organist and right by the, the choir loft there. So, um, yeah, so I guess the the next portion of this is where we do kind of a beverage break, and um, unfortunately, I think our, our version last night was a lot more exciting than this morning. Our, our beverage break is consisting of coffee, but um, <laughs> I think we should at least share our story of, of last night. So 
Um, each time I have a guest on, I like to surprise them um, with uh, with a beverage. And usually I'll ask somebody, hey, what, what's your favorite drink or or this or that, whether it's alcoholic, non-alcoholic, it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, but I'm not giving you the choice, or I didn't give you the choice last night. I kind of wanted to surprise you and not even tell you about that part of the show. Um, so I surprised you with a big 25-ouncer Bush Heavy, <laughs> not, not even Bush Light, uh, Bush Heavy can. And I asked you, hey, does this remind you of any stories? So if you don't mind, just kind of bringing us through exactly what, what brought that, what memory came to mind when I, I brought that can out. Yeah, so um, Bush is a funny <laughs> beer. Like, I, I, I don't drink Bush very often. Uh, but growing up, you know, I think that, um, not growing up, I guess when we were like of age, um, <laughs> the, uh, um, I think Bush is a very popular beer in Northwest Pennsylvania. It is a beer that sort of signifies, you know, like hard work in, and, uh, in the working class. And, you know, the, um, so we have a story we were, we, this was accidental. We were, we were getting ready to go, um, to, uh, help Ryan's dad. You might want to set the stage with your dad. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for those of you that know me, um, grew up on a small beef farm, hobby farm, where we had at the most maybe 20 head of cattle. And so we would always have to, you know, do hay in the summertime, which there, there brings up some good stories with you and I. <laughs> and uh, we had to go get the feed. So we had to go to the feed mill and we were going down to Cochranton. And, uh, you know, my dad is the the modern day was it tom sawyer or huck finn that always like got people to do stuff for I think him? it was tom sawyer yeah yeah so he, he's kind of like the, the modern tom sawyer um or, or as we affectionately termed him um general g uh for for uh gerald my dad and because he's a super hard worker uh but he's also like the master delegator <laughs> and uh he would always rope my friend he'd be like hey you know you want to see if jared wants to come over and it's like oh yeah that'd be fun and then by the time Jared gets over there, he has a list of things that we are going to do uh, as, as his, uh, his slave driver mentality. So yeah. take over from there. No, he, General G definitely had like a, a mentality of like, if you're there, you're basically one of the kids. So they had no problem like assigning you work as if you were his own kid, which is totally fine. I loved it. Um, well, I, mean, I might not have loved it while we were doing it, but. You definitely um, didn't love yeah. it while we were so, doing it. Right. So the, uh, but anyway, we would do a lot of fun stuff fun stuff um <laughs> so we had to go get feed for the cows which and feed comes in really heavy bags i mean maybe 75 pounds like, yeah you know something like that like the, and so we were getting ready to go down to cochran and we stopped at my house and the this was i think like the summer between some of the college years i forget but we were we were of age um and we uh i found like this case of bush that we had and i don't even think it was cold it definitely was not cold <laughs> we i don't like, think you drink bush cold i mean last night was a treat yeah, it was pretty cold. I don't know. I would have preferred anything cold, I guess. But the, <laughs> um, so anyway, we we decided we we're gonna go get some feet, so we needed some 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 beer muscles. So we had a couple bushes, not a lot, but enough to like just give you like it's sort of like you know like Red Bull gives you wings, like like Bush gives you like you know like strength. You know, I think there's like part creatine in it. Um, so we uh, had a couple bushes, went down to the feed mill and uh, loaded up the truck like with no problem. Like it was, it seemed just seemed like way easier than normal. Um, yeah. And I, and I have to add, like, I think it affected you more than me. Like if I threw one bag in, Jared was throwing four. He was just a machine. He just kept going and going. And, and so we were just like, man, it's gotta be the bush. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So ever since then, sort of had like an affinity for it, but I, I don't drink it much, but like the, uh, um, when I do, I do think it's of that a story. nostalgic, right? Yeah. Right. So, uh, the next part is our, our question and answer. So, uh, what we do is we have you, um, ask me three 
business work-related questions and then three personal questions and then role reversal. I'll do the same thing back towards you. You do get the opportunity to veto if you don't like one of those questions. So um, if you don't feel comfortable, I'll just set the stage. No one has vetoed anything yet. so I don't think I'll veto anything. Okay. Let's, let's <laughs> have at it. All right. Um, so three business questions first. First one, um, just, you know, between, I know you do hips and knees, your, your primary thing, which do you find to be more challenging, more complex, or is there, or they feel like the same? Yeah. So, um, I'm a pretty simple guy, uh, cause I, I literally just do two operations. I do hip replacements and knee replacements and real simple. <laughs> well, I mean. You know, a lot of orthopedic surgeons, they're kind of doing, they may do hand surgery, they may do a shoulder rotator cuff, they may do a knee replacement, they may fix an ankle fracture, they may do, um, you know, a trigger finger, then they may do a hip replacement. So they're they're doing a little bit of everything, kind of that jack of all trades. I never actually wanted that mentality. I was always wanted to be kind of the master of just a couple things because then your quality goes up, your patient satisfaction goes up. But um, to get back to your question, um, you know, I think it's different for each of them because... There's some that are some cases that are very mentally draining and exhausting and some that are physically draining and exhausting. And uh, I would say hips are more mentally draining and exhausting to me. Uh, they're not they're still physically taxing because most people, when they think of surgery, they think of it's very meticulous and uh, very detail oriented, which which it is. But with orthopedic surgery, particularly arthroplasty, which is just the, the fancy word for joint replacement, um, it's very, very physical. Um, I mean, there's a lot of awkward positions that you're putting your body in. You're using mallets. You, I mean, there's a lot of force that goes into it. Um, so, so hips are physically demanding, but there's a lot more that can potentially happen. Uh, that's, that's scary, right? You're up near the pelvis. Uh, there's a much higher risk for fracturing the bones, particularly the femur or the, the thigh bone when you're putting the stem in it. Uh, when I'm putting the cup in the pelvis bone, you know, we have to ream that out. And although I do it under x-ray guidance and we're, super accurate with that uh if the bone is too soft i mean you can you can go through the pelvis and into right next to the bladder um so it's just one of those kind of butt puckering surgeries where you're <laughs> you're you're kind of just like all right all right you know i don't care how many you do there's always not a fear but you're you're aware of it yeah right uh whereas knee replacement i would say is probably more physically demanding there's there's more lifting twisting um there's so many steps to a knee replacement compared to a hip um, and you know, when I get done, I think my neck hurts a little bit more probably with, with the knee than it does with, with the hip, but, uh, all in all, I love both of them, but yeah, definitely th they each have their strains in, in different fashions. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I want to next to ask about sort of like building a business locally, but you know, like what strikes me as someone who grew up here and then I come back. So I, you know, I live in Cleveland. Um, and when I, over time, you know, I've seen sort of like Northwest Pennsylvania and this isn't like, the, like all over the country in sort of like small town America, um, things are, things are tough, right? There's not tons of jobs in places like this anymore. And, um, you don't see lots of like bright spots in my opinion. And so like, in fact, when I come back, I'm like, oh, it's sad. That building's not there anymore. This isn't there anymore. And that's, you know, and so, um, when I came back the first time and saw, the building you built in Meadville, just absolutely breathtaking. It's gorgeous. Um, and then when I see, you know, Edgewood and what you're doing there and things like that, like to me, that's a really awesome bright spot for, 
for the community. And so it's sort of, you're, you're adding something great to, to Meadville. Um, tell me about, you know, your thought process when you came back, coming back to coming back to your hometown to build a practice and what that felt like, how you feel about building in the community. Yeah. So, um, brief kind of background. So when I first came out of fellowship, um, and I was interviewing for a job, I, we really, Karen and I looked in two places. We looked in Erie, Pennsylvania, and we looked in Metro Detroit just because, um, Karen city girl, really, we never even thought of Meadville. Um, and we interviewed at a practice here at, at, in Erie, and um, I liked the the opportunity to maybe come back close to home, Erie, uh, but I wasn't really too thrilled with the practice setup. And then Michigan um, was a, a private practice opportunity, um, and it was close to where I did my my residency. And at that point, I had already lived five years in, in Michigan, became very familiar with that area, kind of like that city vibe. Um, but then four and a half, five years later, I had the opportunity to come back. And um, when I did, it was really prompted by Karen. Uh, but the whole time, I, I always have this like build it mentality, build it mentality. And um, again, those that, of you that know me, um, uh, there's this saying that I heard on a podcast the other day, where they say, the way you do anything is the way you do everything, right? So if you're sloppy with tying your shoes, you're, you're probably going to be sloppy with something else in your life. If, if you're, you're not tidy around the house, you're probably a little sloppy with your work life, right? If you give maximal effort, uh, on the, on the other side though, if you give maximal effort while you're working out in the gym, you're probably going to give maximal effort while you're working with your career. And I've always kind of had that just drive and, 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 um, competitive spirit to kind of like be the best. And uh, for me, it was always wanting to offer the absolute best for my patients. And um, one of the things that I always, um, one of my mentors, Dr. Lombardi, used to tell me, he goes, it's really not that hard. Um, you just need to be a little bit better than your competition. So I took that and I was like, well, how about if I just be a ton better than my competition instead of just a little bit better, mm -hmm. uh, like swing for the fences every time. So when I came back, it was, I want my patients to have this unbelievable, amazing experience from start to finish. And, and that really um, kind of set the stage for building whole health, uh, not only the physical building, but the the team, right? And it's been a process. Um, I will say that my day job of putting hip and knee replacements in, although stressful and challenging, is much easier than the business side of things. But um, I, I never knew I would enjoy business as much as I do. That is actually probably the part that is so fun and exciting to me is like this this ability to create something right kind of from scratch mm -hmm. and uh, but you got to set a, a firm foundation on like who you are as a culture and as a company and and that was really what we did from day one is like patience first absolutely every single time and I use a lot of inspiration from other successful people or companies and one that I always kind of like looked up to was was Disney right mm -hmm. like they always do things kind of the right way and it's always big and grand and um when you're there you, you feel amazing right and i wanted kind of that same feel when you walked into our office i wanted it to be like this is like no other doctor's office that i've ever been in but i like it right it's not this sterile cold environment it's warm it's welcoming it's inviting and nurturing and that's how i want to train my staff so you know when i interview people um i i could really care less about what's on their cv yeah i mean experience is great but 
attitude is everything mm -hmm. to me. And um, if you have the right attitude, uh, you can train anybody to do a job. But mm -hmm. and you know, you go through your your highs and your lows with hiring people. But it's to me now, it's about finding that right cultural fit and finding somebody that kind of embraces the same core values that I have, which is again patience first, excellence every single time, and um, you know, just kind of making sure that. Every single need that they have, whether it's realistic or not, we do our best to, to try to attempt to uh, make that happen for them. Yeah, I love that. Um, what you just told just it made, made, made me think of two books you should read if you haven't read them or listened to them, if you'd rather listen to books. Um, there's a book called Creating the Magic by Lee Cockrell, who was one of the top executives at Disney. Um, it's about creating that amazing customer experience there. Um, the other one's similar. But it's even maybe more fascinating. It's called Setting the Table by, I don't know if you know who Danny Meyer is. Danny Meyer created Shake Shack, but he also created like 10. What Michelin, is that one called? Uh, setting the Table. Okay. But Setting the Table is a lot about like a feeling of creating like hospitality, but in the greatest sense, like hospitality for your patients, right? Like that above and beyond feeling, right? It's sort of like everything you do, if it's an organization, is focused on creating in a, a customer experience that is truly remarkable and memorable, right? Yeah. And from beginning to end, you know, and um, and sometimes beyond beginning to end. It could be before they even come in or after they're done. You know, it's sort of like that creating experience. And he actually, Danny Meyer, just a phenomenal business leader. I mean, created, like, he had, like, Union Square Cafe. He had, you know, The Modern. He had Blue Smoke. He, like, transcends, kind of like, and 11 Madison Park, which is the number one restaurant in the world. Um, but he also created Shake Shack, completely different, you know? Yeah. And... So it's he, like uh, two opposite ends of the spectrum. But he's there. very big on his hiring mentality of hiring first for emotional intelligence and for looking for those intangible factors of how, what, how those people, even back of the house people, are going to treat like the customers and, and be focused on that first, like service first. You know, so it's a. You, I think you would enjoy both those books um, yeah. based on that. No, that's great. I always love giving plugs and shout outs. So, um, yeah. and I'm a huge, um, as you know, I have a, a commute every morning. Um, I drive about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, at least three, sometimes four days a week. And my shorter trips, when I go down to the Meadville office, um, you know, it's about 35, 40 minutes. So I have a lot of time to either do podcasts or, you know, audiobooks. So mm -hmm. I'll definitely put those in my. Yeah. My One docket. more plug for an audiobook is, is Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. It's my favorite book. Braden and I listened to that together. Um, some of the content might be just a tiny bit advanced for. A middle schooler going into I high school. I thought you were going to say but, for an orthopedic surgeon. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, but it, that's a great book. And it's just fun because Matthew McConaughey is Oh, he's guy. a great guy, yeah. right? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. So, <laughs> And that was his breakout, right? Was was Dazed and yeah. Confused. Yeah, first movie. First movie ever. After, he did a Miller Lite commercial before that, I think. <laughs> just got, got warmed up. Yeah. Um, Too bad it wasn't like a Bush commercial. Right. That would have been awesome. Um, so last business question. Tell me just a little bit about the culture of the employee group you've created at Whole Health. Yeah, so um, I think it really starts to, for me with like I think I'm a I'm a logical thinker in terms of like all right when patients are first coming to us, what is the first thing? It's not what you see; it's the voice you hear, right? Because you're calling. So when I when I created Whole Health in um, 2017, we opened our doors January of 2018. Um, one of my goals was a person has to answer the phone, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing more frustrating to me than when I'm calling someplace and I get a teleprompter with 18 different options and it's 20 minutes to, to get a human being on the phone. So 
it's my goal is at least 80% of the time for a human being to answer the, the, the phone when you call between normal working business hours, Monday through Friday at Whole Health. Um, and that's been a struggle. It's harder than you would think uh, because of the volume of calls that come in. Um, and you don't know how long somebody's going to take on the phone and triaging those calls, getting them to the right people. And the other thing is not only just getting human, but you don't want to have to leave a voice message and then have to wait days for someone to get back to you. But so it starts with hiring of a voice that's friendly. And then that, that same person is probably going to be the receptionist when you come in. So it needs to be a, a warm, friendly, embracing uh, smile. Um, I always tell all my employees too, is like life is hard, right? We, we have good days, we have bad days, but when you come here, I want to create a culture that is warm, welcoming, not only for the, the, um, the, the patients, but for the staff as well. And um, I said, you got to leave your, your bad stuff, your baggage, personal stuff at home. Uh, doesn't mean that I don't care about that, but we have to put our best foot forward patient facing, right? So one thing I did actually within the last year, I don't even know if you know this, but um, I hired a life coach uh, that comes in every Wednesday and she works with our staff and with our employees um, to kind of help create this culture. She does breakout meetings with individuals, but then we uh, created a leadership team um, and we really kind of like focused on, okay, each person's job and creating formal job descriptions and making sure that we were crystal clear with what everybody's roles were. And we're small enough. I mean, we've, we've doubled in size. We have over, I have over 30 employees now, but, um, we're small enough that you can't just like say, this is what I do. And mm -hmm. this is all I do. Like there has to be some crossover, but for the most part, like here's your lane, mm -hmm. you know, stay in it. Um, but yeah, that, that, that culture carries over to every single person, right? So the, the x-ray techs, the, um, the medical assistants, the nurses, uh, our, our providers, right? So we have five orthopedic surgeons and we have, uh, five mid-levels. I have four PAs and one nurse practitioner. And I can honestly say, I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because I work with some amazing orthopedic surgeons, um, and PAs and nurse practitioners. But what's more amazing than their skill level is their compassion, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I really think that we have a great group of, of providers that care and have a great bedside manner because you can't teach that. Right. Absolutely. Either. Honestly, like it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal benefit you're providing to these people, but also it's it 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 drops to the bottom line because that helps your business. It's it's like a really smart decision to you're you're creating more efficiency, more excellence in like, you know, like honing the right skills for the right people, but it's also like it that's evidence of you buying into their careers, helping them be the best possible. So it's it's like that's an awesome benefit. I don't know that um, that many people do that, you know, to, to provide that sort of like life coaching sort of part of the, you know, the soft side of the job. You know where I kind of got the idea? Have you ever watched the show Billions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different, but the, the, um, like psychiatrist. The psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I was like, that's an interesting philosophy. How like as a business, you, you really put a lot of, it's an investment. I mean, I'm, I'm paying this, this lady, her name's Alison Parplasha. She's definitely going to be one of my guests on the podcast. So, uh, but a quick plug to her. She she's done an amazing job, and and I think my patients, uh, I'm sorry, my staff really appreciate the fact that like I'm paying somebody from the outside to come in mm -hmm. to really focus on like mental health and uh, just making people feel good about what they do and um, important and valued. And um, you know, I think it, it was a great investment. Like I'm going to continue to do it. Unfortunately. 
Allison is moving to Savannah, Georgia, but uh, we're going to continue to do it virtually, which I think that's one thing that COVID taught us is there's a lot of things that we can do mm-hmm. that where you don't have to physically, you know, be there. Now I, I need to physically do be at the hospital to do right. my surgery. Right. So yeah. Time for personal questions. Let's, let's have it. Is this right. where I'm going to be video video in uh, some of these questions? Uh, we'll or? find out. Let's find out. Um, I'll try to make them so you don't need to veto them, but um, <clears throat> if you could have dinner with one celebrity, who would it be and why? Oh, boy. Do they have to be um, living or dead? Dinner would suck if they were dead, but like, it's up yeah, to but you. It's like, totally up to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not much of a conversationalist, <laughs> so, especially when I'm eating. No, I love to to talk with people, but you can uh, bring him back to the dead for this. Okay, so like like Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, <laughs> get some boo doo boo boo. Get on up, get on up now. <laughs> um, gosh, that is a really really tough question. I mean, my initial instinct would be Michael Jordan, uh, just because he's been such an inspiration for me. Um. Hmm. Oof. Gosh, I think I'd do my grandfather. Yeah. So, um, he was. It's be a little hard to talk about, but um, kind of that guy that was so inspiring to me because of his work ethic. Um, you know, coming over from Italy, never seeing his parents again when he was young. He was nineteen when he when he came over. And, um, yeah, sorry to, um, he's just one of those guys that he, he had so many jobs because he wanted to provide for his family and, um, he had a restaurant, he was a school bus driver. And one of the funny things, like coming back to this community and practicing is that my patients know a lot of my family members, whether it was like, Oh, I had your dad in school. I'm like, really? Like, my dad seems like he's the same. Like, that's when you know your parents are getting older, right? <laughs> um, but I can't tell you how many people have been like, I knew your grandfather. I'm like, really? And because I didn't have that when I was, like, in my teenage years or even college years because the, the, I wasn't in a position to kind of know these people. But a lot of my patients, they were like, he was my school bus driver. And they were just like, he was the nicest guy. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So they, they tell me these stories, and it's just like, I knew I loved him. He was like one of my best friends growing up. He was my um, kind of mentor and uh, inspiration outside of like a celebrity. So I guess that doesn't even count for celebrity, right? But local celebrity. Yeah, he was a local celebrity. So <laughs> yeah, I'd say my grandfather. Awesome, awesome. Um, the I think I was gonna you, you kind of like led into it, but you talk about. <laughs> your your drive and your your sort of like perfectionism and you know like commitment to excellence and everything like that um and that's part of the business discussion but you know from a personal perspective it bleeds where, over. Do, where does that come from do you think yeah so i think obviously my parents right so um and you know my mom and my dad are probably gonna watch us like i didn't grow up in um and and I wouldn't say it was a very loving family, but it wasn't like that. Oh, come tell me how you feel. It wasn't that. Um, it was kind of tough love, mm-hmm. right? And my dad, all, I mean, that guy is a super, super hard worker. Um, can't tell you how many things he was doing outside of just like his his job. He was a tax collector. He worked at the fair. He started to 
volunteer ambulance um, service down in Townville and was up until just recently was the uh, treasurer of that for over 50 years. So it, it, you know, truly when you say like you model what you you want your kids to kind of do or think or believe or how you want them to behave. Um, So I would say my parents, uh, but also like Michael Jordan was, it was a huge inspiration for me. Never met him. Um, But I was always just kind of watching every little move he made, right? Whether it was athletically or when I saw him on the sidelines, like that guy was focused. He was laser focused and that guy would not smile on the court. The only time he smiled was when he had a cigar in his mouth because he just won his sixth championship, right? So it was like work, 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 never say die, keep going. Um, You got to have your goals. And um, so I've always been a big goal guy. Like here's my goals. And um, I write my goals in pen, but I write my deadlines in pencil. I learned that a long time ago because I have I, I have all these things that I want to do, um, but I'm a little overzealous sometimes with my my timeline of when I want to <laughs> do it. Um, but yeah, I think it was a combination of both my parents and my sisters too. I mean, they my my Kristen, who was the closest to me, played college basketball, so I saw how hard she had to work and how much time and effort she put into that. So it was like. I got one go around here. I'm going to, I'm going to give it everything I have. And, um, second place in my book is the first loser. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of harsh, but that's just how I approach life. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can see it just permeates. I think we're both fortunate to have, I I saw your, you know, your thankful Thursday thing tribute to your parents. And I've, I've seen you thank your parents many times. Um, but it's really astonishing um, to me. <clears throat> I feel like we both benefited from having parents who like really were committed to service to the community. You know, my mom, like, you know, I feel like she's given her life to the church, you know, and, um, and to raising generations of kids, but it's a different story. Um, <laughs> but you know, your, your, your parents are feel like very similar, you know, your dad with like the ambulance service and with the fair, like, I feel like it's just like every single thing he did was to serve the community, which is really awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that in that permeates, you you see that, and you really sort of like, you don't see it like on an individual basis when you're growing up. You don't say like, oh, my dad's doing this. But right. it just sort of like soaks into you. And, and I think that you, I see that with what you do with Do Good. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that was honestly the the inspiration for that was mm-hmm. just, you know, my, my parents, particularly my dad's sense of kind of volunteerism mm-hmm. and helping those out that are less fortunate. Um, because we are. We're very blessed, right, to, to have the lives that we have. Um, I'm not saying that we, we had it handed to us on a silver platter because that's far from what happened, right? Mm-hmm. It was hard work, but um, there's so much um, just good feelings that come from being able to give back. And that's the one thing that I've kind of tried to teach our boys. And, um, you know, Anthony, this was last weekend, Karen was out of town with Santino for a baseball tournament. And um, I didn't have any cash. And it was just Anthony and I, we had to have a tough conversation um, about, a um a gentleman that passed away in a car accident he was a little older than me and he was the father of one of uh, luca's baseball teammates so broke the news to anthony he's he gets pretty emotional with things like that and he was just very scared so we, we talked about it but it was a great night um we, we decided to get like late night pizza it was probably like 10 30 11 o'clock it was a friday night and um you know actually it was saturday night but so we ordered pizza and i'm like Anthony, I don't have any cash. And he's like, could, could you get some cash? And, and, you know, I can pay you back. And he's like, no, dad. He's like, I'm going to buy this. And um, 
I said, well, thank you, Anthony. And he went out. He wanted to give the money to the guy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was just cute, the interaction. He, he, I think the bill was 20, 21 bucks. And he, he gave him you know, the money and he gave him 25. Um, and then he gave him an extra couple bucks. And he goes, no, this, this is a tip. <laughs> and like when we came in, he goes, dad, that felt really good uh, to be able to pay for that and to be able to like give this to you. Um, and we went in, we, we ate pizza and he's like, this is one of those moments. He, he said this, he goes, this is one of those moments I'll never forget. It was just him and I sitting there at the kitchen uh, counter eating pizza. And it was from Marcos. He goes, this is the best pizza ever. I was like, I would agree. It was really, really good that night. But he was like, it feels even better, and it tastes even better that I was able to buy this for you. Wow, that's amazing perspective. I mean, for, for a, a twelve year old, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't have had that perspective, when I was yeah. <laughs> or the money to buy. Yeah, it. I wouldn't have twenty five bucks to buy a pizza. So, <laughs> all right, last personal question. Okay, um, what's your favorite memory of when we were growing up together? Oh boy. Oh gosh, where do you where do you start? Um, I mean, from basketball camps we went to to going to Conant Lake Park, to our time at Mercyhurst together. Um, there's so many fun stories, uh, memories that I have. Um, gosh. Huh. I'm trying to, in my brain, I'm editing like some PC stuff too, to make sure that this is like... Yeah, most <laughs> of this would not be safe. <laughs> yeah, so Unless this like, podcast is rated R or something. Yeah, I mean, the, the one memory that I probably have and this is kind of an embarrassing story really embarrassing story was was the Mercyhurst library story and memory <laughs> and I don't even know why I'm sharing this because like, but it is what it is right? <laughs> so Jared and I we we worked at uh, the Lake Rim which was like the the fast food uh, on on campus in the student union and we would literally create all these concoctions like a uh, when we were making like ourselves a meal. So we would deep fry everything. And, and I mean, everything <laughs> it was like, our goal was we were, if there was any type of food product there, we were going to at least attempt to deep fry. It, it was a science experiment. Yeah. Try to fry an apple, apple, tomato, whatever it may be. <laughs> um, there's a reason that they say don't like throw water on a grease fire. Right? Yeah. So like sure. the tomatoes have a lot of water. In them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that until one exploded in the deep fryer. But, um, it, was it the McDonald's like big and cheesy moment? Like they they had this burger that had like four or five patties in it. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, let's recreate that. But like we're gonna put bacon in between. We'll put some chicken fing- chicken fingers in there too. <laughs> so we made this massive massive burger that probably had like eight thousand calories in it, <laughs> if not more. And um, so we ate it. And we're going back. I was a freshman, and so I was in the dorm. But we were going back to your apartment. And I think you needed to like print a paper for class. Okay. Is that what it was? Yeah, you, were coming over- you, were, you have great memory of these details. <laughs> and um, so we're walking across and we both just had this like immediate like urge to have to go to the bathroom. N- number two. And like it was a fairly far walk to your apartment and we were not even halfway there. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're not going to make it. Right. So. We both kind of looked at each other simultaneously and we're like library because we're trying to think of like the closest place. Right. So we go into library and there was this. Um, First of all, this was like kind of the like late morning or maybe it was middle afternoon. It was like not a busy time at the library. Like basically nobody was in it except for the people that worked there. Yeah. 
uh, other, yeah, which is like the head guy was at the front desk. And as we walk in, we must have just had like a mischievous look on our face. Because he goes, hey, guys. He was distressed. <laughs> distressed. <laughs> and we're like, hey. And we just like ran in and ran right into the bathroom. And, and Jared obviously knew the, the blueprint layout of the bathroom better than I did. Uh, but there was two stalls in there. He goes, I got the stall on the right. I'm like, fine. I got the stall on the left. And um, I, this goes to show you how many times I've been to the library at Mercier's. <laughs> so I clearly didn't know the layout. And he goes in, starts doing his thing, and I go into the left stall. Well, I think we need to set this thing. So I don't know if, if our women listeners know that much about men's bathrooms. But, like, typically <clears throat> there's, like, stalls, and then there's, like, a separate part for urinals. Yeah. But that was not the case. And here. there's not, not usually a urinal in a stall. Definitely not. Almost never. That means maybe the only time I've ever seen it. <laughs> yeah. So I walk in. I'm like, there's two stalls. I'm fine. I'll get the one on the left. So Jerry goes to the right, and it's a standard toilet. He's doing his thing. And then I go into the stall on the left, and I'm like, oh, man, it's a urinal. And I'm like, Jared. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. He knows. And he starts kind of making jokes. And uh, I'm like, I'm looking at the urinal, and I'm like, huh. I was like, if there was a urinal design that you could have a bowel movement in, this probably this would be the, the one. It was a welcoming. Like it it uh, kind of came out a little bit, <laughs> and it didn't have a screen in it. There was a fairly large hole. So I was like, you know, this is it's possible. Where there's a will, there's a way. So Jared's halfway through, and I'm like, hand me some toilet paper. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, just hand me some toilet paper. So I cleaned everything off and um, did what I needed to do. And he's like, you are not. And I'm like, oh, I am. <laughs> so, because I had to go that bad. And um, the problem was I didn't have enough foresight to realize, um, like, you know, after you clean up and put toilet paper in there, like, the hole's not as big as I thought it was. And so I flush, and there's not a lot of room for the water to c- contain it. So, and it starts to overflow. I'm like, oh, boy. And no, I think on the first flush, it didn't overflow. You're just like, it's not going down. Yeah, yeah, probably. And it was just like, well, I just keep flushing. So I was like, doosh, 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 doosh. And all of a sudden, like Niagara Falls. And it wasn't just water that was coming over the edge. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm panicking. So I'm like, I got to I gotta like break this stuff up. So I'm, I'm frantically looking around the bathroom and I look in the, the garbage can. There's a paper towel roll in there. So I'm like, I can use this to chop it up. So... I go and I start to try and it is a mess. It's everywhere. And Jared finally comes out of the stall. And he obviously hears the water hitting the floor just flooding the entire bathroom. And he looks, he goes, What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know what I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, the door opens of the bathroom, and it's the guy from the front desk. He's like, "Hey guys, you know what did he say?" I don't think we stuck around. I think we were like right before he came in, we were like, "We got to get out of here!" <laughs> and like, open the door. It's like we, I think we were pulling the door open as he was walking in, and he was like, "Hey guys," and we were like, "Hey," and he like walked by, <laughs> never to return to the library for the <laughs> yeah, three, no, I think three it's more years. Safe to say, I did mostly. Um, in 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 house studying after that, <laughs> so wow, I can't believe I just told that, and a lot of people are probably going to listen to this. Yeah, but, eh. good story. Yeah, all right. So, so Mercier, if you're listening, you can send a bill to Dr. Ryan Molly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
It would be interesting to go back to see if they've changed that layout. <laughs> Probably. I'm sure it's done. Yeah. All right. So are you ready? I'm going to ask you some questions. Let's do it. Here. Let's do it. So professionally, um, I mean, I know what you do, but, um, and I'm going to try to mix this up from what I did last night. Um, what, what would you say about your job that gives you the most like gratification at the end of the day? Um, other than obviously you're providing for your family, but like, I, I know you and I don't, I think you and I look at our jobs very similarly. We take it very seriously, but like, it's more than just provide, you don't look at it as like work. It does not feel like work to me. I, I mean, I truly love my job. Um, and my job can, kind of is comprised of a few different things because I, I wear different hats, right? So, I mean, I'm a real estate lawyer by, by trade, right? So my, my job is to basically buy or sell or finance, you know, large real estate projects around the country for, you know, publicly traded REITs <laughs> or private equity funds or things like that. And so, like, that's my day-to-day job, right? And closing deals to me gives me a level of satisfaction, but that doesn't give me like the most satisfaction, I would say. Like the other, you know, I'm the vice chair of the real estate group. So there's like the sort of the management aspect and sort of what I would call like sort of the talent attraction and talent development. So I spend a lot of time recruiting and I spend a lot of time sort of like building our team and helping them become excellent. So that's sort of part two of what I do. Um, part three, I guess there's four things that are like the things I do. Part three, which I also really enjoy, is I am responsible for attracting and managing very large client relationships. So that's what they call like the business development side of things. So that's like where I get that entrepreneurial like love. Like there is a high of chasing and getting a new big client, you know? And so I really do love that. And so if you think like the order of like what gives you like the feeling of the high of work, like that I really love, I would rank, you know, um, getting a new big client over closing a big deal. It's just sort of like one, they both feel good, but getting a new client feels better to me. It's, like, it's sort of like, it's like, it's a... Um, it's confirmation of the reputation you've built, the brand you've built and things like that. So that gives you a, a very positive feeling. And then the other piece of what I do, which is sort of new, uh, new to the firm, it's a new role. I'm the chief culture officer of the firm. A lot of that stems from what we've done in the real estate group and sort of exporting that to the other parts of our firm. But um, in that role, it's sort of making sure that we have like a really cohesive group of people. Our firm has grown so much from the time I joined, so 2016 until now, you know, we've probably doubled in size. And, you know, we don't have aspirations to be a mega firm. We actually don't want it to be. We're, 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 what would define a mega firm? I mean, anything over like <clears throat> maybe probably like 600 lawyers. There's That's actually not a mega firm. The mega firms have like 2,000 lawyers. We definitely don't want to even be that. Um, but we don't want, I think there's also like a no man's land of big, big law firms that are you know, from 600 to 1500 lawyers. Um, there's a group of those, they call that like, it's like the AMLA. So we're AMLA, like I think 140 something, right? So like we're the 140th biggest firm in the US by revenue. Um, and, but we're like way higher by profits, which to me is what matters um, for the, from, a, from a metric perspective. I'd rather have more profits than more revenue, right? Um, but the, there's also the sort of like, I also want to know everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And so as you get bigger, you lose that, right? And the and as we've grown almost exclusively, we hire big summer classes and big, fir- like, so people coming out of law school, we grow organically that way. But we have not. That's what lot- I'm going to do this summer, right? I'll be the 26th. That's right, 26th. Okay. There you go. Yeah, you're going to be working in the uh, uh, the healthcare department. Um, <laughs> so the, um, 
Um, but we've grown mostly through lateral hiring and hiring people specifically from the very biggest and best law firms because they have to charge their clients $2,000 an hour or whatever. We offer them the ability to uh, use those Cleveland and Chicago rate structure that we have, even if they're in New York or San Francisco, like to make a better experience for their clients. They get the same quality, really high quality, um, yeah. um, but at a lower rate. So like that's, um, but the the challenge of that when you hire so many people laterally is so you creating like a cohesive culture that feels like what is the Benish culture as opposed to like people bringing the cultures of their other firms and just wanting to like be in a new place, you know, because that that doesn't that doesn't create like the stickiness and our, our retention rate is, you know, way above the industry norm. So normally like lateral when you hire a lateral lawyer, especially a partner. Um, you might have like a 50% retention rate. Our retention rate is in the 90s. But wow. it's, because, it's because of what we've created and we've like fulfilled our promises to people. <clears throat> but it's the intentionality we have on um, cohesion, on doing things the same way, on a commitment to excellence, a commitment to client service. And so um, this is long-winded, but this is where, but in terms of like, so that role that I have as a chief culture officer, my job is to make sure I'm, I'm supposed to be the glue or helping create the glue that makes us like the stickiest culture possible, um, a place where people get tons of job satisfaction. Doing that and doing the part in our group that relates to sort of like helping people become the best lawyers they can become, that's what gives me the most job satisfaction. Um, mm -hmm. Is that like more than more than practicing law. You know, yeah. it's the people part of it that I love the most. So on the flip side, what is the least favorite part of your job? Time daily basis? <laughs> like the annoying like administrative parts of it, paperwork, um, you know, like doing like, you know, entering your time in six minute increments sucks, you know, always has, always will, but that's what we do. Um, you know, sending out bills, you know, things like that. I, like, that's I, like I've the, always been fascinated. You know, I've worked with a bunch of attorneys over the years. It's like, do you literally like, do they teach you this? Do you have like a little egg timer? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's very sophisticated technology for it. A lot, of, a lot of people use like they have timers on our, on our billing system. So like I have a hard time because I mean, when you're an associate um, or if you're just like a, um, a partner who just does legal work, right? So you don't have like the administrative parts of your job or different things like that or leadership roles. Like it's easy to use those timers. You know, you can, you know, I'm starting to work on a document. So I'm going to turn that on. I can work on it for two hours or whatever. I'm going to get on a negotiation call. Boom. I turn it on. Um, my, the problem I have is that this is why I also might work 12 hours to bill for, right? It's sort of like, I've got a line of people at my door all day. They want to ask me questions. How do I deal with this? What do I do here? What do I do? And I love that. I loved interacting and giving that advice and helping them. Um, but for me, I just have to be like really diligent of like, I know that took me this, I, what happens often is I just don't like, if it's, if it's a short amount of time, I just don't bill for it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's also like my rates high. So I also don't <coughs> think that like, <clears throat> if the, if the other lawyers working on that and they're billing the client, I just don't like, because I'm like, I'm adding value cause I'm giving them the advice and it's short, it's a short spurt. But, um, so, um, some of my, my, some of my own personal time really gets lost for that. But I think sure. it is. It is easier than it used to be. I used to have this, like, when I was started out, I had this red hardbound book. And every single day, I would write down, like, as I was doing it, like, what I was doing, you know, like, create a line through this. Like, it was, like, how long it took me. And and then I would give it to my secretary. And then she would, like, put it in the computer. And then she would print it out. And I would read it. And I would mark it up. And I would give it back to her. It's, like, the least efficient process in the world. Technology has really made it easier. But it still stinks. It's it just sort of, like, it, it does create tons of productivity, though. Because if, you, if your employees know that they're being measured by what they do and like they have to write down what they did and they have to convey value to the client because if it says like attention to file clients can be like hell no i'm not paying that you know definitely um, accountability yeah right? exactly and so <laughs> um 
it creates what I would call like institutional accountability. You know, what I mean? and so like that creates an incredibly productive workforce. You already have Type A people. They're the people who did the very best in their law schools. <clears throat> it's sort of like a filter, right? Because you got you got to do well in undergrad to get into a good law school. Then you got to do really well in law school to get a job at a big law firm. And then it sort of like whittles down like the funnel of like excellence. Um, but you have like the people who have already done that. On top of that, they're measured by what they do. So it does create a ton of productivity, um, probably more than most like job fields I feel oh, like but yeah. it, but it sucks to do it it's like that is the worst part of the job yeah all right last business question and I did ask you this yesterday but um if you were not a commercial real estate attorney what would be your your next dream job but I'm gonna change it you can't do like a developer uh, okay so so I can't stay in real estate no it's, okay. it's got to be like something like an entirely different field um well I think what I would what I would love to do the most if I was going to do something different would be to take what we've done about creating amazing corporate culture at our firm and sort of like export that by like consulting for other companies <clears throat> or other, you know, law firms or accounting firms or professional services firms. Cause I think what I do translates mostly to providing client service to outside clients, right? Like the culture piece, it's a little different than the culture at Disney where you're talking about, hundreds of thousands of employees that are have some of them have low level jobs. Like I have a pretty like uniform level of stuff. Although we, I do focus on not just the culture of the attorneys, but also like the staff and things like that. So, but I would love to do that and like just sort of like help, you know, help people create better cultures at their companies. Um, I think it would, I think you should start a podcast, <laughs> the culture cast. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'm sure <laughs> that name's taken, but <laughs> so you ready for some personal questions? Yeah, let's do it. So, um, Give me one individual that you would say was far and away, both personally and professionally, like the most inspirational in your life. Hmm. Most inspirational in my life. Probably my mom, I would say. You know, she just has this like endless ability to give of herself, you know, and she's like incredibly selfless. Um, that is sort of like, I think that really inspired me. Um, <clears throat> I've also been inspired by what not to do. So I was inspired by what not to do by my, my by one of my brothers who has um, made bad decisions in his life and didn't, you know, but I saw that hurt my mom. So I think a lot of things, like, you know, my kids ask me like, what's your greatest fear? And I would say like, my greatest fear is like, their biggest fears like snakes or something like that. Like my greatest fear is letting people down. Yeah. Right. And I think that I like share that. seeing my mom get let down <clears throat> and then seeing how she does everything she can to support other people, like those two things combined like really like made that the focus of like my life. And so like, I feel like I'm a giver, like I'm a people pleaser. I want to make others happy. That dri I think that also drives like sort of like professional success when you are so driven to like not let people down or to do, or in the, in the inverse, like to like to do really great for people. Um, and so I would say my mom has been, that was that inspiration for me. Um, I know you guys as a family are going to Scotland here. You leave tomorrow, mm -hmm. right, for two and a half weeks. Um, you've got some great stuff, hikes, things like that. But you were sharing a story about kind of your family and your lineage. Could you share that story, if you don't mind? Yeah. So, I mean, this this sort of inspired why we're going to Scotland as our first. So, like, Braden has five years before he goes to college, five summers. And so Jill's like, every summer we're going to go to a different place in Europe or the world, like so the kids can be see things and be more cultured. Love that. And uh, so I'm like, well, the first one, let's like ease them into like let's let's go to an English speaking like country. Although Scottish Scottish accents don't really sound like English sometimes. Um, <laughs> but like I also like have just have been doing a lot of 
um, over the last several years, a lot of like ancestry searching and, and ancestry DNA and things like that. And so, um, I was a little surprised to find out when I did this, I, I think of like our, my family is sort of like, we're from French town, right? Like in my mom's side of the family is the Demasons. And so like, I thought like it would be really heavily French and on my mom's mom's side, it is, it is like very heavily French and all from like really the same region of France, like Eastern France, close to the Switzerland border. And, um, it's just saying Hippolyte in France there, which is kind of cool. Um, but then I found that the other parts of her family, her dad's side of the family, and then my my dad's side of the family um, are almost not almost all, just about all from Scotland, Scotland or England. And the the one line of the family, if you trace the tree all the way back on my mom's dad's side, hits to a goes to a king, which is kind of cool. And the king he always seemed a little royal. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Scottish royalty is kind of about right, right? Like the. Um, and so the king that it goes to, um, and then quickly after that, it actually goes away from the royalty because it like, you know, it's usually like, for, it's gotta be first son to keep going down the kings, right? Yeah. So like the, it went to a daughter and then like, you know, there's like, then maybe there's some like nobility, but not no more than the royal family. And so the uh, the king that it went to is this guy named King James II. He's only a fiery face. Um, I think he had like a red face or something like that. And so he's called fiery face. And so he died like all Scottish kings back then, pretty early. You know, like usually they're all fighting and someone kills everybody. It's, it's, How old was it's he? It's very hard to trace Scottish royalty because they all kill each other. Um, he was probably in his 30s, which was oh, wow. kind of old for Scotland maybe. Um, <laughs> and he uh, he died accidentally showing off for his wife. Um, but he had a new cannon. And uh, sort of like a, that ultimate like hold my beer moment for the king. Um, shot the cannon <laughs> to impress his wife and blew off his leg and died like on the spot. <laughs> Uh, and so I always said, like, if there's if there's any royalty that I should be related to, that's the guy, right? Like the. <laughs> and you mentioned like this cannon is still there. It right? is, yeah. That cannon's still at the Edinburgh Castle, um, which is like this. If you if you know Scot Scotland, but like Edinburgh is like the big city. I mean, there's Glasgow too, but Edinburgh is the historic city. And there's like this big castle on the hill, and that's like the Edinburgh Castle. That's where that cannon is still today. Um, and it was from the like 1200s or 1300s. Did he live um, in that castle? I th I don't know if the castle was fully built or if they moved the thing to, I mean, all these other castles. Okay. Um, he is buried in Holyrood Abbey, which is close to that. So we're going to go check that out when we're in Scotland to see like where he is and hopefully take a cool picture by the cannon. Um, maybe hold my leg back. So it looks like I don't have a leg, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess last personal question here is I'm going to, I'm going to ask the same question you asked me. It's like your favorite memory of you and I over the years. Uh, I, I thought about that in preparation for this, like just sort of like thinking about of our memories and everything. And I think that, like you said, there's a billion that we could mention. Um, but I think that one of my favorite was actually where I think our friendship kind of solidified when we were young, which was like going to Edinburgh basketball camp together. It was like that first taste of freedom. You didn't have any parents around. There were, you know, chaperones, but they weren't that responsible themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah, like they were like, I'd be like sure. high school or college athletes. <coughs> and uh, so you know, just like all the fun stuff, like when we would like put the EL fudge cookies in the back of the fan and shoot it all over the room, <laughs> stupid Gosh. stuff like that, right? Um, Those were know, good like cookies, the, too. Yeah, um, interacting with like the other sports teams that were not there for basketball camp, like the big like sort of like meathead football players that were there and like and um, just going to the, I would like the, the cafeteria moments I felt like were the greatest, yeah. right? Like Ryan one time accidentally like left the ice cream machine on <laughs> and he came over to the table all proud of this ice cream cone he had made. And like, I'm like, Ryan, look back. It was like a whole like, big pile of ice cream falling on the floor. Um, but it was, I don't know, Edinburgh basketball camp was just like super fun, you know? And like, that was like, you felt like cool because you got to interact with like, 
these college players and things like that. Yeah, we spent just, the night there too. Like, yeah, the mo- most camps were day camps, right? right? But like, we we would stay in the dorm, so it was like, yeah, you felt like you were going to college. Like, you would move your your mini fridge in, mm-hmm. you'd have your, your your you'd have your whole stuff, you'd set it up, you'd have posters on the wall. You're only right. there for five days, right? Generally, the hottest day of the year, I feel like, <clears throat> oh, the hottest week of the year. And it was like, yeah, it was like uh, like at, right after the hammer chicken dinner, and we would always like leave. I think almost like from the hammer chicken dinner to go move in. And, yeah, you uh, go on like a Sunday, yeah, right? Yeah, and you check in, and I mean, those were some tough camps. Like Bill Hager was the was the guy that would run those, but I just remember like we were up super early, and we were doing something well, well after dark, mm-hmm. you know, in the summer. So it was late; it was probably yeah. like nine, ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. I remember being like on the tennis courts and having to do like six inches, where you'd be laying flat on your back and just holding your your heels off the ground by six inches. And I mean, I may be exaggerating this a little bit, but I felt like we were doing that for 10, 15 minutes. It like, seemed like it. Yeah. Or like wall sits or, or things like that. Yeah. I think they, th- I think they thought if they wore us out enough, we wouldn't get into trouble, but that wasn't always the case. I feel like the, some kids, it was also fun to like not actually cause the trouble, but to kind of see what happened around the trouble. You know, the kids that would just take it a little too far. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mark uh, McNamara. Yeah, exactly. Like that. That's where my head goes. But the one moment that sticks out to me about Edinburgh basketball camp was, was the thunderstorm. Oh, and yeah. you're going to be able to tell that story better than I can because you remember the details of it better. But I do remember we were in Macomb Field House mm-hmm. and this huge, like scary thunderstorm kind of came over. And yeah, but camp was over for the day and we're like, we're stuck in the basement of this place. And it was like a serious thunderstorm, like actual lightning strikes near you, near you. It wasn't like it was like in the distance so you can hear it. And it was scary. It was like happening. And, but we were kind of like, all the fun was happening back at the dorms. Pizza was probably being consumed and like everybody was screwing around. And so we're like, we don't want to be stuck in Macomb Fieldhouse. And so we're talking to, I think it was Donnie Plyler, maybe. Yeah, definitely. And, it was Donnie. Uh, um, who was giving us some life advice on other things that maybe we should <laughs> talking talk. to girls. And- yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, we're like, we're going to make a run for it. And he's like, ah, that's kind of stupid, you know? And, and so we're like, no, I think we can make it. Cause all we really did was run across the big field. It was like to get from the field house over to like whatever dorm we were in was um it well that's maybe like a quarter mile i guess yeah um and we're like let's do it we're just gonna do it so we just like took off sprinting in like the in torrential downpour and like we get like halfway there and all of a sudden this like crack of thunder with like simultaneous like a light not like lightning flash like a lightning bolt of like what felt like it was like spiraling around us like you know like hit probably like i don't know 100 yards away in like I don't know how I didn't pee myself. Maybe I did because it was raining so hard I didn't notice it, but it was like crazy. I just envision us as like the roadrunner because right after that, like we looked at each other and I'm sure there were some choice words that we said and we kicked it into nitro. We were just like, yeah. and, and made it back to the dorm. But that, that was honestly one of the scariest moments in my life because, um, I mean, you don't mess with lightning. Right. That and the time I got attacked by the octopus in North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also kicked into high gear on that one. For sure. <laughs> so... Here we are. We're, we're going to go into what we call the seventh inning sawbones uh, shoe stretch. Okay. So, um, as you know, I'm a huge shoe guy. Um, I, I have a pathological condition with, with, with shoes in my collection of particularly Air Jordan shoes. But um, you, you're wearing a pair of, of J's as well. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Do you know anything, the history of that shoe? And I mean, the, I mean, this is the Jordan one, right? This is a little flashier version of it um, with the with the elephant print. Um, the so I mean, the Jordan one changed basketball shoes, right? Up until then, I mean, you 
can watch the movie if you want this new movie, you know, um, the new Nike movie. Um, but the um, it was the first shoe created for you know a player like individually. Before that, you had Larry Bird just wearing like the normal Converse shoes, right? And Magic Johnson doing the same thing. Maybe um, and like and the NBA really controlled like what you could wear. And Nike did this. They paid the fines to allow Jordan to wear different color shoes. That's probably my like favorite the, part about that whole story. Yeah, that's so ballsy. Um, and I yeah. love it. And so to me, the Jordan shoe has become like <laughs> such an icon, and it developed over years and years and years. And I remember like when I was a kid getting a pair of Jordans and thinking like this is like the greatest day of my entire life. You know, <laughs> this is like so cool. I finally got these Air Jordans. You know, and um, I still love that model of the Air Jordans, like the um, and. Um, so I, you know, I saw these on a website called stadium club and which I, which is an addictive thing to do because they, they have such cool versions of Jordans. That's like what I love most about now the modern day, like, you know, you know, a couple years ago, you wouldn't have thought like, Oh, I could go get these like retro Jordans or that they yeah. wouldn't be like cool. Or maybe like, you know, like Spike Lee might be able to get that kind of thing. Now it's like more accessible. Um, but for me, the reason why I love like getting shoes like this is it gives me like this, like great connection point with Braden, my son. Um, he is all about basketball and he's all about shoes. And so, um, you know, have, it gives us something to talk about. It's sometimes, you know, when your kids, you, you know, maybe you haven't experienced this quite yet because your kids are still in the phase where they think like dad's a hero and everything like that. And Braden is, I have a great relationship with him, but kids, you know, as they get older, just like, what's up, Braden? Nothing. You know, like that's sort of like, that's life when kids are teenagers. But yeah, you know, if I say like, have you seen these new shoes? It's like instantaneously, it's like he lights up and we like get into a real conversation. So like I would buy shoes like this just for that if I could. But I also love there's like the, it gives you a splash. To, I mean, I love how like, um, I love a clothes have changed, like professional clothes where like you can yeah. wear like, you know, like everything has become a little bit more casual. Like I, if I would never have dreamed of wearing something like this to work at my, when I was at my old firm, they'd be like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. So, and will you like, wear Jordans to, to your? Work I will not every day, um, but like I would, yeah, because I think you can dress them up. Like you can wear this with like a sport coat, and it looks yeah cool. You know, um, so I definitely would do that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel the same way. Um, you definitely had um, Jordan shoes well before I did. I didn't get my first pair until I think I was in um, either medical school or maybe even residency. Um, but since then, like it's taken off, um, and it's but it become an issue. I was telling you, I had to create a set of rules because I was on stadium goods. I was on stock X. I was on this. And my rule was I can't order another pair until the pair that I ordered comes in. And I <laughs> that's a that. problem. Yeah, that is a problem. And, <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago when we, Karen and I were in Hawaii, I had a little too much time by the pool. I'm like, Oh, this pair's cool. This pair's cool. And when I came back, I had three pairs like waiting for me and the boys are like what are you doing when your kids are calling you up but same thing yeah. so my boys love shoes particularly anthony and uh, luca is a is a sneakerhead, um and he knows every pair of jordans he knows the story he knows the names of them like i pulled this out he's like oh yeah those are the taxis i'm like taxis i'm like yeah it kind of looks like a taxi i was like what's it called he's like no those are the taxis that's the name of that shoe and oh you got the uh, the true blues or so these are the air jordan one lows and this is the university blue uh slash black so the difference with this particular shoe that i really really like this is probably one of my favorite pairs uh number one i'm always a university blue guy right so for those of you that don't know michael jordan went to north carolina hence the the blue is called university blue but most uh air jordan ones the 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 toe here is almost always white and 
This is the first time that they did any university blue uh, colorway with a color with black. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of unique. Um, I just love the contrast with the uh, the silhouette, the the jump man here with the, the blue here, uh, but kind of sticking with the basics too. Like you've got the white sole here, and I'm the same way. Like um, this has kind of almost been like a part of who I am uh, because Michael Jordan was so influential and is so influential to kind of who I am, both personally and professionally. Uh, kind of my culture, but I, I'm always when I'm in clinic, every single clinic I have a pair of Jordans on, and I, my patients kind of like that and identify with that because they'll be like, "Oh, what are you wearing today?" And um, love to tell kind of the story behind the, the shoes too, and they're super comfortable too. Yeah. So, all right. So the next thing is is uh, super fun, but we did this last night because it's uh, early right now, <laughs> and it's called the uh, Sawbones Challenge. So, um, you know, it's a little out of order. But um, it's a uh, it's a three point competition that we had last night outside. Uh, spoiler alert: We're going to show you the, the clip here in a little bit. But um, do you want to give us any highlights, lowlights? Lowlights. I had the lowlights. Um, <laughs> now I have the excuse. I hate excuses in life. I always tell Braden we live in the world of no excuses. Um, but the you have uh, a legitimate excuse. But my shoulder's been hurting me for a while. I did get a short cortisone shot like a week ago, and it is sort of like night and day. I wouldn't have been able to even shoot a shot otherwise but it's still like getting i feel like better so um it's hard to shoot a three-pointer for me i'm getting old um yeah you did um, a pretty good job yeah so just a a quick story here because um last night i don't think the mics were picking it up one of my favorite stories this was edinburgh basketball camp wasn't it yeah so um i'm gonna paint just the, the the stage and then you can tell the story so there's always every day there's a competition whether it's hot spot um one on one three point competition so the one day, and there's like 300 kids at camp. So like when you win one of these competitions, it's not like yeah, there was five kids playing. Everybody's in it. So Jared won the three-point competition. And you, you take over from here. So the three-point competition was probably like the end of the morning session. You know, it's like they always do something fun at the end, right? So like we we had just come off a high of winning the three-point competition at the end of the day, at the end of the morning. And then the afternoon you have like, you have, you're assigned to a team and you have coaches and you play like the team team games in the afternoon. And so we, um, I didn't know, I mean, you don't know your coach really. Like you kind of get to know them during that week. Um, and my coach was like a pretty big coach from here. He was, you know, Jim um, Del Sandro. We yeah. can say his name. Yeah. Um, I, I, his youngest son, JJ and I coached, um, his son and my son this past year. So, yeah. uh, he was the assistant basketball coach at McDowell forever under yeah. Pete Flynn. Yeah. And he was a great, I mean, he was a great guy. Good. I mean, very good coach. He, um, um, but you know, we're in a game. And I think I airballed a three. This is sort of deflating <laughs> after just winning the three-point competition. And I, uh, he, and he looks at me and he's like, Oaks, he's like, when's the last time you hit a three-pointer? And I was like, because he doesn't know whether I'm good or not. <laughs> so like, I'm like, uh, this morning when I won the three-point competition. <laughs> it's like five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, it was just like a funny moment. But like just like the way he said it, um, it was like... <laughs> It's a memory we talk about today, right? It just it just like never left us, and we we're just like it was just so funny how it was like I was like, ouch! Like, I, I just picture your face too because I, I think you're like like five minutes ago when, <laughs> when I won the three point competition. Like, where were you? Yeah. So so okay. In closing, uh, kind of wrapping this up, I always like to kind of say, hey, any final questions? But also like looking to the future. So where do you see yourself, both personally and professionally, in say ten years? 10 years, personally and professionally. I think that, you know, 10 years is going to, a lot will happen in the next 10 years personally because the kids are like, you know, in 10 years, like, you know, they'll basically be like 
out of high school, probably in college. Braden might be done with college by then. You know, like the um, no, he won't. I guess uh, yeah. Um, and so I'm believe. trying to savor <laughs> like like. I used to be like, I want to hurry everything up. I want the success to come. I want all this to come. And now I'm just sort of like, if I could just pause time right now, it would be amazing. Um, Because I feel just the beginning of like, time's about to slip away. And you're going to be like, you know, like, and every phase of life is great, right? So you don't want to be stuck in the same phase. You want to see them grow and develop and then maybe have their own kids and stuff like that. So like personally, in the personal life, it's sort of like, I really just want to like, just soak in every moment possible of like the, you know, of, of my kids growing into adolescence. And then, um, you know, I think that that, that'll also coincide with a lot of travel. Like our favorite thing to do is to travel. Like I, in our, my day job, um, is a little busy, <laughs> so I don't really have a lot of time for hobbies. Like I love golf, but I never get to play. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, that, and that's totally fine. Cause I'm not going to take more time out of my family life. I already take enough out of that for work. So like, um, and yeah. so like the, so I think that as, but as they grow and get older and go off, like that will give me more time for that kind of stuff. So I think that'll be great. More time to travel both with the kids and just with Jill. Um, we don't travel much just by ourselves, but, um, so I'm looking forward to that. I just sort of like the, um, I don't want to like lose a moment of it, you know, cause I think it's, it's cool to see them grow up and become their own people. And so personally, that's what, you know, I'm looking forward to, um, professionally, I think really it's just, real quick before yeah, you yeah. go into that. Um, you, you brought up something that like, really jived with kind of how I look at life too. And, you know, when people say like, you really won't know what it's like until you have kids of your own. Right. And, and that that's so true and how you, that it goes so fast and it slips away and this and that. And, um, I've seen several things on like LinkedIn where people will, will have these inspirational quotes. And one of them is, is like, I doubt I'll ever say, I wish I played more golf. Right. right. You know, when you're looking back on, on, on times or I wish I spent more time working mm-hmm. right and, and and with my career but you're probably going to say I wish I would have spent a little bit more time with my kids so I'm the same way I try to embrace that um, every single moment that they have whether it's a baseball game if I can physically be there I'm there or I'm coaching it mm-hmm. like I have definitely because everybody's like boy do you do, you do anything I, I'm the same way love playing golf but I played two times this whole year because mm-hmm. um, I'd rather be with my kids because that time is going to not be there mm-hmm. for that much longer. So right. sorry to interrupt, but professionally, yeah, yeah. No, uh, professionally, um, it'll probably sound kind of uninspired because I feel like I've hit this like stride at work. Like I think it's a continuation <clears throat> of, you know, where things are now. I would say the thing I look most forward to over the next 10 years, I don't know if I would call it a goal, but it is, I have a goal for this. It's like, I have a core group of people who, um, I have a big team like that. Um, and I don't like to say my team. I like to say our team, you know, it's like, it's collective, you know, it's, it's, um, and, but like, there are a handful of people who have really contributed to my success. And at the same time, they've also developed into really awesome lawyers themselves. And so I hope to, you know, continue to grow what we're doing in the real estate group, but also kind of like help those people reach the level of success I've been really fortunate to have. Um, That will give me probably more feeling of success and happiness than more money for myself or more success for myself. I think that just really, that's an outcome. I feel like in, in law practice and built in building what we do is sort of like institutional clients. It's kind of a snowball and it's sort of like the snowball has been rolling for a long time now. And so it just gets bigger and bigger and it's great. And I really, I don't take it for granted for a second. Um, but like that's going to continue. I feel confident in what we do and our ability to, you know, you know, attract more clients like that. But I think for me, the thing I'll get the most satisfaction out of over the next 10 years is to see 
the people who have come up underneath me to blossom and become like really amazing. They're already amazing lawyers, but to become like, you know, like um, bigger and better at what they do and to, and to build teams underneath them. It's sort of like a, a really cool, like um, story of momentum, but um, that piece of it. And from a goal perspective <coughs> is to really take what we're doing on the culture side of things and, you know, create the best culture of any professional services firm in the world. I mean, that's like, I, you know, people like, sometimes people laugh at like lofty goals and I know you have lofty goals and I do not laugh, laugh at lofty goals. And I think that like, that's why you get to where you get you mm-hmm. at the set. Like I completely believe in swinging for the fences. And so when I say we want to have the best culture in the whole world, I believe that. And I mm-hmm. think we can. And I think that, um, I think we're already in a great place for that. And it, it's sort of like the, you can see it in, you know, it's a, Five years ago, we were unknown in Chicago. You know, we're the fastest growing law firm in Chicago. We have 110 lawyers there. We had five lawyers there like five years ago, maybe ten, six years ago. Wow. Um, and it's not that we're not growing just to be big. Yeah. It's just that like the the story and what 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 we allow people to do and how we help them grow their practice is just amazing. And so like it's fun to be a part of it. So, dude, I'm so proud of you. Like honestly, like from where we came from, and that's not an insult to where we like. It's it's a very humbling. Um, environment where we came from it's fairly simple right blue collar um, you know I don't think that very many people um, and this isn't like a, a slam at all but like have as lofty of goals as, as you and I and um, you know there's there's times where I kind of like man like the simple life is very attractive to me and there's days when you know I absolutely love what I do there's nothing else on this planet I'd rather do um, but there's days where I'm like, boy, it would be much easier to be flipping burgers today, right? Like when just something just doesn't go right, maybe during a case or something like that, because it's so high stress, but I just can't thank you enough for, for coming and joining us today, sharing some stories, going down memory lane. Um, it's been fun. We, we did this twice, right? Yeah. And, and definitely going to have you back, um, in the future. Cause I love what you're doing, you know, professionally with that culture thing. And, just even during this podcast, I'm thinking of like how I could work with you and, and have you come in to maybe help inspire um, to bring us to that next level. Because it's always about how do we do it better, mm-hmm. right? Is great is is great, but like I want to be better than great, right? Right? Yeah, it, that is a culture in and of itself. The the, the the culture of continued improvement, right? It's like a loop. You know, like, how do you get better? And the military is great at this, right? Like, evaluate how you did. How can I do this better? And it's sort of like internal reflection and just a commitment to everything, getting better all the time. But if you live in that way, like, you do become truly excellent, you know. But I I can't thank you enough for having me on this. It's just sort of like you, you know, um, we, if we have mutual admiration, which is sort of like the, I love what you're doing. I love what you've done. It's I'd love to see, like, I'd just love to see, like, the physical representation of it and meet with your building, uh, you know. And I think that, um, you know, we're sort of, you know, like brothers from another mother, I guess, right? Like the, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just a pleasure to be here. And so thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. So stay tuned. We'll have some uh, upcoming footage of our next week's guest. And, um, you know, thanks again, Jared. And um, thank you guys for tuning in. But uh, please leave your comments, suggestions, anything that you'd like to see, any special guests maybe you'd like uh, for me to have on. Uh, but this is always a pleasure, always fun. So stay classy and we'll see you next week. Take care. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. You are not going to want to miss today's episode. We have an amazing individual, Travis Bazell. 
He's an entrepreneur. He's a business owner here in Erie, Pennsylvania. He's a very close friend of mine, probably one of my best friends. And uh, I mean, this is going to be an exciting, um, pretty much a take the train wheels off and uh, put your kids to bed too, because this is definitely not your um, your your typical PG version. But uh, we're going to keep it as clean as possible, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So stay tuned. Sawbones is coming your way. Tell me all about it, Doc.